Back in the 1980s, Bob Dylan released an album called Saved. It was a great album. And its main song, Saved, is uh, still kind of bounces around in my head on occasions. It was a very unusual album for Bob Dylan because it was unashamedly Christian. It proclaimed the Christian faith. I can remember going to a concert at Mount Smart Stadium in the mid-1980s while I was at Theological College, and I was amongst this crowd of people who were mostly stoned or drunk, or both, and uh, we were rocking away to songs like Saved and other songs off that album and the follow-up album. And it was an amazing and surreal experience, really, and I wondered how many of them were really thinking about the words they were singing along to. That album and that song came out of a particular understanding of what being saved means. An understanding that is often understood as the only Christian understanding of salvation. The reality is, within the Christian tradition for the last 2,000 years, there have been a number of understandings of what salvation is. They go all the way back to the early church. And as I read today's readings and some of the commentaries, I thought about how our understanding of salvation, being saved, how that understanding shapes how we read passages like today's, and certainly how we read next week's Gospel reading. It's like we put on these glasses and we see everything and we read everything through those glasses. And these glasses shape how we read the Bible, how we understand God, how we understand ourselves, how we see Christ, and what it is we think we are here to do. But despite that, I suspect that many of us don't think very much at all about what we understand salvation to be. We don't give it a lot of attention. We don't think about what we've been saved from or for. So what I want to do today is to spend a little bit of time wondering what on earth does it mean to be saved? We can say that saved means gaining eternal life. Life with God. That's pretty straightforward, but then it gets a little bit more complicated. What do we mean by life with God? I think if I asked most of you, you would say that eternal life happens after we die, so it's in the future, and we go to heaven. It's somewhere else. Eternal life is in the future, somewhere else. And this understanding colours everything. For example, we can say that God is loving, but if you follow through the logic of where heaven, living in heaven after we die, takes us, God is only loving up to a point. The dominant images of this understanding of salvation is that God is holy and righteous and a judge. It is amazing how many people are hung up on God as a judge. We see ourselves as sinful, as Bob Dylan described it, stone cold dead. 
and our sins keep us out of heaven. Jesus paid the price for those sins, a price that God expected to be paid. Where we get the righteous, holy judge God. But through Jesus' death and his resurrection, we are allowed to live again. We get eternal life if we believe the right things and say the right prayers. Salvation in this understanding is we are saved from our sins and our separation from God. We are saved so that we can get into heaven. Getting into heaven is what it's all about. The implications then, what are the implications then for this theology, of this theology for how we read the Bible, how we see God, how we see ourselves, how we see Christ, and how and what we understand we are on about as a church? There is an older understanding, however, of salvation. A lot of that understanding, particularly around um, God expecting a price to be paid and Jesus paying that price is actually a relatively recent theology. It comes about in the 12 and 1300s. So what we think is the Christian understanding of how the cross works is actually comes about in the second half of the Christian story. There are older understandings of what the cross and resurrection and Jesus is all about. And we can find these older understandings in John's Gospel, which we heard this morning, and in the early writers like St. Augustine of Hippo, St. Athanasius, and we can find them in the writings of Julian of Norwich, who we remembered on Thursday in our calendar of saints. For these people, eternal life is still with life with God, but it was much more life now, here, in this world. Sure. It flows on into eternal eternity, but it starts now. It is to be lived now. Salvation, for these writers, is in the here and now, not in the future, not in some other place. St. Augustine of Hippo, not to be confused with St. Augustine sent by Pope Gregory to Britain 200 years later, St. Augustine of Hippo, who lived in the late 300s and early 400s, wrote that we had forgotten who God is and who we are as people made in the image of God. And we had forgotten how to live as people made in the image of God. For Augustine, Jesus came to remind us, to show us, Jesus came as God among us. In Jesus, we are reminded who God is. We are reminded who we are as the ones made in God's image. Made in the image of the one we meet in the person of Jesus. And by we, I mean all of humanity, not just those of us gathered here this morning. We are reminded also, out of all of that, how we are to live as those made in the image of God. Now, central in all of this is that in Jesus we find God. Now, most Christians would affirm that. Not all Christians, but most Christians. 
But we kind of leave it at that point. Oh yes, Jesus is God, the Son of God. And then we kind of move on as if that statement on his own is enough. But actually for St. Augustine, that is the statement. And that is where we need to put all our attention. Because in Jesus, we find God. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to describe God, look at Jesus. If you want to know the characteristics of God, look at Jesus. Not just his death and resurrection, where we kind of tend to focus all our attention, but the entire gospel. And think about what are the character how would you describe Jesus in the whole gospel and then apply that to God. And then ask this question. Who are we made in the image of that God? How do those characteristics describe us? We are reminded in Jesus who is God and who are we made in the image of God. We are invited to rediscover the character of God and the people that Jesus mixes with and how he interacts with them and what he teaches and what he does in restoring community, God's community. In Jesus we meet God in whom there is only love, as Julian of Norwich would say. For St. Augustine, salvation is remembering. We are being saved from our forgetfulness, from our forgetting who God is and who we are as people made in the image of God. We are saved from forgetting how to live as such people. We are saved so that we might remember and start again. We might be born again, as Jesus says. So in this theology, Christ's death is not so much dying in our place for our sins to meet meet the demands of God, but Jesus' death is a profound act of love that jolts our remembering. To be crucified in the Roman world was to be declared meaningless. You were of no worth, no importance, and you should be forgotten. And everything that you stood for should be forgotten. But in the resurrection, God declares that Jesus and all Jesus stood for is of ultimate worth and meaning. What the Romans and the high priests said was of no worth, God said was of ultimate worth and meaning. The cross then symbolises the end of all false images of God and ourselves. Those images lead to death. In the resurrection, Jesus is declared to be the way to remember. The way we are, to, we are to remember the characteristics of God we see in Jesus. The way we remember what it means for you and I to be made in the image of the one with those characteristics. 
Now, when we put on these glasses, everything changes. How we see God changes. How we see ourselves changes. How we see Christ changes. And most interestingly of all, how we read the Bible changes. You would think that how we read the Bible should inform our theology, but in fact I think it's the other way around. We put on our theology and our glasses, and that changes how we read the Bible. It also changes what we're on about as church. Being saved is not something about the future, but remembering who we are now. And mission is not trying to get people into heaven when they die. Mission is about living the way we are all remi- in a way where we are all reminded who God is and who we are. Living in a way that restores God's community in the here and now. In this morning's readings, we are offered an image of Jesus as the gate. If we're wearing our salvation as getting into heaven glasses, this can be and has been used as an extremely exclusive image. Unless we believe the right things about Jesus, we're not going to get through that gate. We're not going to get into heaven. And in fact, that image has been used to justify horrendous acts by Christians over the centuries. But if we wear the salvation is remembering glasses, Jesus the gate becomes the way, the gate by which we remember. The gate, the way by which we remember who God is and who we are. When we are willing to take the whole of the gospel seriously, when we are willing to engage with Jesus as God made flesh, as God among us, The gate becomes the means by which we truly meet the life-giving God. The gate becomes the means by which we remember, by which we start to live as people made in the image of God. The gate in this image is not exclusive. It is through Jesus, the gate, that God invites all into life. But... Like the eye of the needle, you will need to leave a lot of baggage behind. Not a lot has been written about the early church by non-church people, but there are some references, particularly in Josephus, to a James the Just, the brother of Jesus the Messiah. This is James of of Acts, the brother of Jesus, the head of the church, Not Peter, James, brother of Jesus. James the Just, this wasn't a name given to him by Christians, this was given to him by non-Christians, was renowned as a holy and devout man, zealous for God. And what he was most renowned for was he was a champion for the poor. It was this champion for the poor that eventually got him killed by the high priests. His death led to riots by other holy, by other devout Jews. Devout Jews, not Christians. 
When we take off our eternal lifers in the future glasses, we are offered glimpses in Acts in particular of a group of people who took Jesus' message about a new way of conceiving society very seriously. A message that stood in the tradition of the prophets and in the tradition of King David as shepherd of God's people. And they sought to live that out in the way that all were treated as made in the image of God. A God who loves all, who draws all in, and freely forgives and seeks life for all now. They lived in a way, we heard this morning, where all had enough and none had too much. They lived out salvation. Salvation was to live out this life now. And they did that because in Jesus they saw God and they understood who they were as made in the image of God. And in living this way, they invited others to join, and others did join, because they saw in the way they lived society as God intended it to be, where all were treated as made in the image of God, and all had enough, and none had too much. For the people in Acts, the kingdom of God was now. And they lived it out now. Eternal life was now. And they lived it out now. Although they knew that it would be fully realised in the future. Two years ago I suggested that there were three questions that we need to constantly reflect on. And I said that our answers to these three questions will shape our understanding of who we are as the people of God in this place. That they would shape our understanding of what we are doing here. And those three questions are, and I'm sure you should know them by now because I've said them enough, whose are we, who are we, and what is ours to do? How we understand salvation shapes how we understand and answer each of these questions. And how we answer these three questions will also shape how we understand salvation. It's a two-way process. Salvation is the key to how we answer these questions. Whose are we? Who are we? What is ours to do? We need to think about and talk about how we understand salvation. So I invite you to do that. Not now. But in your conversations with people, in your spare time, in your prayer life, what is it that you understand salvation to be? And how does that shape how you live your life as followers of Christ? in this place at that time.